He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Anyone ever told on their brother or their sister? Yeah, okay, I got one honest person over there. And then some of you were the ones that they were telling on. And so uh, you've never told on them. But Joseph went and told on his brothers. And the same way that your siblings probably wanted to hurt you after that, his brothers wanted to hurt him as well. And we'll see that a little bit later. Verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. So to top it off, the father loved him more than the others because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. We're going to come back to that. Uh, why don't we go ahead and, and pray just for now. You can put your Bibles to one side and let's just go ahead and pray that, that God would allow us to become better leaders in the name of Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you have done. I move out of the way right now. I pray, God, that the gifting that you have given me, the gifting that you have given this church would be activated, would be stirred up right now. We love you and we thank you. We pray, God, that you continue to make us better leaders, that we would continue to grow, that we would continue to change, that we could continue to evolve and be exactly what you called us to be. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we give God a great round of applause today? Amen. Amen. You may take your seats. Amen. So we've been talking about leadership. And what is leadership? Influence. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor tell him influence. Anytime you hear the word leadership, you can just take that word out and put in the word influence. That's why there are good leaders, there are good influencers, and there are bad influencers. There are people who are good at influencing others, and there are people who don't really have much influence on other people. Right, and so that so Pastor went through that and talked about what is leadership, how it's influence. He gave a few characteristics of leadership, and given our time, it was not exhaustive, but a few characteristics of a good leader. And then he talked about internal motivations. Why would somebody want to be a leader? Why would somebody choose to be a leader? Are we doing it because God is watching? Or are we doing it because others are watching? Are we doing it for our own self-gratification? to make ourselves feel like we're doing something worth doing? Or are we leading because God has called us to lead? Someone say amen. amen. And so we do it to please the eyes of God and not man. And yesterday we talked about biblically-based thinking. We talked about running to the Word of God. When you counsel others, you might not know what you're going to say, but if you have the Word of God planted in your heart, amen, the Holy Ghost will bring these things to remembrance and you'll be able to counsel in the Word of God. Somebody say amen. And so when we counsel ourselves or rather when we are thinking or deciding what we're supposed to do, because we, everybody here knows you should not or cannot, it is not plausible that you're going to call up your pastor or you're going to call up your life group leader or you're going to call up whoever's discipling you for every decision in your life and ask them for counsel on every single thing. It's just not reasonable. Every one of us is going to have to make decisions for ourselves. That's part of maturity. Somebody say amen. And so one of those things, one of the very key understandings of growth and maturity is to always look to the Word of God and ask yourself, what does the Bible say? Anytime somebody asks me any question, anytime somebody comes up to me and they ask me, you know, what should I do with my money? 
Or they say, Brother James, you know, uh, can a Christian be demonically possessed? Or Brother James, uh, what are we going to do when we get to heaven? Or what do we do if somebody is sick and they don't get healed? I always ask myself the same question before I respond. What is that? What does the scripture say? What does the scripture say? Someone to your neighbor say, what does the scripture say? You always have to check with what the word of God says. Someone say amen. Amen. And so today we are going to be talking about evolving as a leader. Today we're going to be talking about growing. And I'm going to break it up into three portions. The first portion we're going to talk about a concept that John Maxwell made quite famous. He's probably the leading expert in the study of leadership. By a show of hands, how many of you have heard of John Maxwell? Amen. A few of you. Awesome. Praise God. Most of us here. John Maxwell, he's, I would say, is probably the leading expert in leadership. He's written 73 books on the subject. He's sold 19 million copies around the world. This guy knows what he's talking about. And not only that, he used to be a pastor. And he drew his leadership skills and leadership laws based out of the Word of God. And so he's a, definitely somebody, if you want to grow as a leader, which hopefully by the end of this Bible study, everybody here would want to grow as a leader, then I would advise you to pick up a few books of his. Amen. And so today we're going to be talking about evolving as a leader. The first thing we're going to be talking about is the law of the lid. The second thing is acknowledging your faults and your weak points. And the last thing we're going to talk about is growing every day and starting in self-discipline. So why don't we go to Genesis chapter 37, verse 2. Go ahead and open up there again. We just read, we started there, Genesis 37, verse 2. It says this, These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. Hear that. My dad, he used to make us on Saturday mornings go and, and take out the weeds. And I learned very early on that weeds grew everywhere. It was like, I don't know how it happened. It would grow in the dirt. It would grow right by the trees. It would grow right in the middle of the cement. How, does, how, how do plants grow in the middle of the cement? It just doesn't happen. But weeds, they find a way. They're persistent. And I remember going out there, right? And all of me and my brother and every friend that wanted to come over my house, we were up Saturday, 8 a.m., picking the weeds. And then my friends stopped coming over, as I've said recently, and because um, we were picking the weeds. But... The thing is, I, we were all there together, right, friends and brothers. And if one of us was messing around, then the one that was mature, the one that really was looking after the father's well-being, was looking after the father's ownership. If somebody was messing around, they'd run and tell the owner or tell the boss or tell the father, hey, these people are not doing what you asked us to do. They don't care about what belongs to you. They don't care about your property. In Joseph's time, they don't care about your sheep. They don't care about the well-being of the family. And he showed some integrity there that even if his brothers were going to hate him for it, he was still ready and willing to do what was right. Still ready to show integrity. Turn to your neighbor and say integrity. Integrity. Integrity is doing the right thing even when no one's looking. That's integrity. Doing the right thing even when nobody is looking. That's a good way to think about it. And Joseph, no matter how many shoes or feet or toes he was going to step on, no matter how many people he was going to brush up against in a rough way, no matter how many people were going to be upset at him, even those closest to him, supposed to be closest to him, he was still willing to do what was right. 
And he showed something of leadership right then and there. And you'll see that in that scripture that he was pastoring the flock with his brothers in verse 2. And after he brings a bad report of the brothers to the father, the Bible says Israel loved Joseph and he made him a robe or a coat of many colors. Now to us, that sounds like, man, uh, Jacob took his son, Israel took his son, Joseph, he took him to Foot Locker and said, go ahead, I want you to pick out the most expensive Jordans. He took him to the Gucci store and said, go ahead, pick out that $700 belt. I don't know why, but just do it. Go pick it out, right? He took him, you know, to the, to the Burlington Coat Factory. No, he said, no, we're going to Saks Fifth, right? We're going we're gonna to do it up real nice. And, and this is what we think when we read, man, he got a coat of many colors. That's awesome. But in their time, a coat was representative of your identity. And that's why later on you'll see that Potiphar's wife held on to Joseph's coat to prove that it was Joseph who was the one who went in in her lie, who tried to take advantage of her. And that's why in a chapter right after this, you'll see that Jacob, he did something, uh, excuse me, Judah did something extremely incorrectly. And the woman held on to some of his things, including his coat. Because it was a part of identity and it showed authority. Everyone say authority. It showed leadership. It showed power. It showed authority. And Joseph's coat was different than the others so that when other people would be walking by from afar, so journeying in the land, they'd be traveling. They would look for the person with the coat that stood out the most. And that would tell them, this is the guy who's in charge. And so Joseph's father gave him a coat that showed, hey, he is not like the others. He has authority. He's a leader. If we fast forward to verse 12, I want to show you something. Genesis 37 verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. Verse 13. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock. Do you see that? Joseph was elevated. Joseph was promoted before he was out picking the weeds with his brothers on Saturday morning. But now Joseph wakes up at 8 a.m. His brothers go to pick the weeds and he's making his coffee. He's walking around in his colorful robe. He has his nice orange juice, a little cup of OJ, a bagel and some cream cheese, some fruit. And he looks out the window and he looks to his brother and says, hey, make sure, you, uh, make sure you take care of the weeds right here. I don't want to see them when I come back. Goes back inside, sits on his recliner chair, on his lazy boy, takes another sip of his coffee, stirs a little sugar and some creamer, goes back out. The weed, don't forget, the weed's right here. Now he's in charge. Now he's elevated to a place of authority. His brothers are now pasturing. And so you can see very clearly, early on in Joseph's life, everything he put his hand to, everything he touched, everything he, he, he involved himself in, he took it as though it was his own. It was his father's sheep, but he treated the situation like it was his own. And therefore, he was elevated. Later on, we see very clearly that he then walked over. Oh, excuse me. He became part of, part of Potiphar's house. And then the Bible says what? That Potiphar put everything under the hand of Joseph. That Potiphar didn't even think about anything. The only thing he thought about was the food that he was going to eat. And Potiphar gave everything to Joseph. We see very clearly, very early on, hear this, that Joseph had a large capacity to lead. 
His lid was extremely high. His leadership lid was extremely high. Let me give you an example. When, when I was in high school, I, I remember I wanted a, a six-pack so badly. I would chew gum every day because I heard that every hour of gum chewing equaled minus 30 calories. And so I was in class just chewing away. I was chewing away. I'd run. I, I hated running, but I would wake up in the morning before school and I would run and then uh, I would work out. I tried so hard and then someone told me that I had to eat differently and I was having this conversation with them and we were talking about, and the word uh, stomach came up. And this other person who was in Lifeline, we called him Big Moss. And uh, Moss is more in Spanish, and so it was a play on his name. His name was Sam, and he was about 6'4", 450 pounds. And he had overheard me talking. And he came to me and he said, did you say you want a bigger stomach? And before I could say no, he said, let me tell you how to get it. Every time when you're a fool, you just got to take three more bites. And pretty soon, you're going to be like me. I said, thank you, Big Moss. My life has changed. God bless you. <laughs> and so every time before I got full, I stopped three bites before, right? No, so I did the opposite, right? What, what was he saying? That, that's just a little example to tell you that it does not matter, right? How good the enchiladas are. It doesn't matter about the chorizo or Daniel Faster's the soy riso. It doesn't matter how good it is. It doesn't matter how, uh, I don't care how good those ribs are. If your stomach is not big enough to handle it, you can't put another one in your mouth. Because you can only taste as much food as your stomach can handle. And you can only fill, a bottle can only hold as much liquid in relation to its size. In the same way, you can only be as effective as your leadership level is. Your level of effectiveness will only ever be as great as your level of leadership. And your ability to be effective will only ever be as great as your ability to lead. That is the law of the lid. It says that if you are a leader and your lid is at number, at number six from one to ten, then you can only be as effective as a five. And you might be an excellent person and you might know the ins and the outs of that field. You might know how to make money in this way or money in that way. But if your leadership ability and your leadership skills are not at a higher level, you can never be as effective. And we can see in the life of Joseph that his leadership level clearly depicted his level of effectiveness. You can see it when he was in Potiphar's house. And you can see it again when he was in the prison. And the Bible says what? Everything, everything that happened, it first came to Joseph. And all of that, sure, it was preparing him. Sure, he was growing. Sure, he was going from one place to another. And eventually he was what? At the right hand of Pharaoh. Second to none other but Pharaoh. You can read. How can this enslaved prisoner go from there to the right hand of Pharaoh that when he rides in a chariot, when he goes from point A to point B, there's an army, a guard who went before him to clear the street, to give him respect that when he, he carried a signet or a ring that had the Pharaoh's signature, if you will, that means whenever he put it down, it was like if Pharaoh said it himself. 
How can this person go from being sold into slavery to imprisoned wrongly to the right hand of Pharaoh? It was because his ability to lead was much higher. And we could see the effectiveness of Joseph and his ministry and how God used him because he was able to lead. Does anybody want to be a better leader today? Does anybody want to raise the lid today? And so your life groups... Your discipleship, who you're discipling, your marriage, where your children go. I'll just tell you one thing about children. The Bible says like, like arrows in the, in the quiver. So is a child, right, in, in the hand of a mighty man. I'm paraphrasing, but pretty much it's saying that, you know, many of us will look at our children and we'll say, well, you know, this child is, you know, God gave me a crazy child and I don't know what happened here. And, you know, this crazy child bit my toe and, you know, this and this and that and that, right? It's, it's the child, it's the child, it's the child. Well, the Bible says that you're the one that shot the arrow. The child does not project himself. He is projected, and a wise archer takes note of the surroundings, takes note of the wind, takes note of the atmosphere and the humidity and the distance and the elevation, and then fires his child, fires her child in the direction so that they end up where exactly where they wanted them to go. But unfortunately, some of us are just not the best archers. We have not focused on where we're going to send them, right? Part of our leadership. We have not built ourselves to be better parents, to be better leaders, to be better life group leaders. And I'm telling everybody here today that if you want to see a greater year of fruitfulness, if you want to see a greater outpouring, if you want to see your life group explode, it's going to start with you as a leader. Somebody say amen. Can we give God a round of applause for that revelation today? I'm telling you, some people say, man, it's the Timothy. My Timothys, they don't listen to me. My Timothys, they're always shopping when I'm asking them to, to reach out to other people. You know, my, the, the members in the group, they've been here for 20 years and, and they don't want to do anything. And these people do this and, and this and that. And there's always another excuse, but I'm just going to tell you right now, the fur, that, that law of leadership is that the group will never grow beyond where the leader is. It cannot surpass where the leader is. It cannot surpass where the leader is. And we can see that in the word of God. King David was a man after God's own heart. Absolutely. But King David was at war for most of his life. His son Solomon, the Bible teaches, was full of wisdom. He made a lot of mistakes. Absolutely. And unfortunately, the latter end of his life was not how God had intended. He had given into sin. And we see that. But in the former parts of his life, in the beginning of his life, we see the wisdom of Solomon and his ability to lead in the, in the way that he had peace with all of the enemies around him. That he had more money than every king. Kings and queens would come just to seek his wisdom and to hear from him and to see the riches and the wealth that was produced. Why? Because the level, the lid of the leadership and from David and the lid on the leadership of Solomon were separate. They were different. Solomon's was higher. Therefore, the kingdom was able to be expanded more. And you see it in the parable of the talents when Jesus begins teaching. And what does he say? That somebody was given this many talents and that many talents and that many talents. And, and one turned it into ten. And then the other one turned it into five. And the other one left it as one. 
Why? Because their levels of leadership, the lid on who they were as a person, hindered that, that person who just buried it. His lid as a leader hindered any production, hindered any fruitfulness, hindered any change, because that person themselves did not see that they were capable of taking that talent, investing it, and then receiving a greater return. But God is devising, God is changing, God is altering and building leaders right here in this place, right here at New Life. I know that this year there are leaders that are rising up today saying, man, I messed up. I, my lid was at a one, at a two, but this year I'm going up to a six, seven, eight, nine, ten, etc. Somebody say amen. And there's many examples of this. One of the examples that, that uh, I want to say Brother Maxwell, but many, many exam one of the examples that, that uh, John Maxwell gives is that the McDonald's brothers, their restaurant was very successful, if you will. Very successful. When, when the McDonald's brothers, as they were selling it to Ray Kroc, they had already sold their 100 millionth burger, I read. That's, that's pretty successful. But when Ray Kroc took it over in around 1961, it went from a couple hundred restaurants in 1961 to 31,000 restaurants in 2003. I'm going to say that again. It went from a couple hundred restaurants in 1961 to 31,000 restaurants in 2003 all over the world. Think about that. Think about that. To go from good to great. To go from successful to extremely successful. Everybody and their grandmother knows what the golden arches represent. Everybody knows that breakfast stops at 10.30 a.m. And, and everybody knows when the McRib is back. Whether you like it or not. And the shamrock shake and the holiday pie. Every, everybody knows the sausage McMuffin. Without egg sometimes. That's me. I don't do the egg. I don't believe in that. Amen. Right? But everybody knows the golden arches. And they got rid of the dollar menu. Pray for them. Inflation. Amen. But what are you going to do? We're not going to get into the economics right now. No, no politics today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. And he, here's what I want to say. Even in the lottery, look at people who've won the lottery. I, I, I dare you after this to go study uh, and read articles about people overall who have won the lottery. Overall, people are worse off after they win the lottery than before. That means the way their life was, they win the lottery. And after they've won it, because their level of leadership is so low because their ability to manage, because their understanding of money is so low, they end up worse off after they win the lottery millions of dollars than before because they never knew how to handle it. So it's very, there's a very clear principle here. If you're following me, say amen. 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 You're still with me. Thank you. There's a very clear principle here today. I want to show you. I'm going to show you in the word. God calls anybody who's available. Somebody say amen. God will call anybody who's available. You turn to your neighbor and say, I'm available. I'm available. Uh, that's all it takes is availability. That's all it takes to be used by God. But watch this. But people who are not only available, but are successful leaders will be used in a greater capacity. It's not just enough to be available. If you want to be effective, then you need to grow personally as a leader.
You need to raise the lid at which is ascribed to you as a leader. If you, that's fine. You could say, I'm available, but I don't want to grow. You will only be so effective in the kingdom of God. But if you come to a place where you say, I'm available, but I also want to be capable. I'm available, but I also want to be able. I'm available, but I also want to grow. I want to be better. I want to expand the kingdom of God. I want to be more effective that God can use you in a greater capacity. And you want Bible for that? That's fine. I'll give you Bible right here. Abraham was extremely wealthy. We talk about the faith of Abraham. Absolutely. But if you study the history of Abraham, where he came from, he was extremely wealthy. I read in a study Bible years ago that Abraham's house, before he left the Ur of Chaldeas, had over a hundred rooms in the type of house that he had. Over a hundred rooms. His servants had servants. He extremely wealthy and understood. He had a little army when his cousin, when his uh, nephew, excuse me, Lot was, was uh, taken captive and they, they were then fighting against him. He took his own little army to go and fight against them. He knew how to manage those things. He was a leader. And Moses, Moses was not just shepherding sheep for a high priest. But he was educated in the house of Pharaoh as a prince of Egypt. He was educated in places of leadership, in places of authority. And Elisha, when Elisha was called, what was he doing? He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Now to you and me, we don't know what that means. But let me tell you, let me explain it to you. What that means is that he had 12 pairs of oxen who were going across their field and only the wealthy had that many oxen and what that means is that Elisha had a very very successful business he was extremely wealthy as well and Peter James and John as we explained in the preaching before Peter James and John came from a, a, a fishing company that had hired workers and not many people had that. They were at the higher end of the middle class and they knew how to manage a company. They knew how to manage their father's business. They weren't begging for alms, though those who are begging for alms will also be called. They are more than welcome. Anybody is welcome. That's what I'm trying to say. But what I'm really trying to get at here is though that anybody is going to be called, only those who are growing as leaders and managers who are being effective in their self-growth and growing the lid of their leadership will be called to greater places in advancing the kingdom of God. Does anybody want to be called to those places? Does anybody want to keep growing? Does anybody want to keep changing? Does anybody want to keep lifting the lid? Your business is here, but it can be there, right? Your family is here, but it can be there. Your life group is at a certain place, but it can be there. And you have to get out of the mindset that says, like, if God is looking for charity, you have to get out of the mindset where it's like, well, God's just going to have to be fine with, with one visitor. God's just going to have to be okay with praying, me praying three times a week. God's just going to have to be okay with me trying to memorize the scripture. You got to stop looking as a leader. You can't look at it as though it's, well, he's going to have to be okay with it. We have to look at it and take ownership over it. The same way Joseph took ownership over his father's sheep and took it as though it was his own and raising that place of leadership. Does anybody want to grow as a leader today? Anybody want to be more effective in the kingdom of God? 
And though Matthew or Le- though Matthew slash Levi was despised by much of, of his brethren, his Jewish brethren, he too was a successful tax owner. He was a, or a farmer of taxes, excuse me, a tax collector. And, and Paul, to call Paul a murderer is not a complete biography. Many times we emphasize that part of Paul, but you have to remember, Paul was a Jew and he was a zealous Jew. He was killing Christians because he thought that Christians were heretics and that they were blaspheming. And he thought that he was pleasing God as he was killing Christians. He was doing it because he righteously, he in his eyes thought that he was being righteous. And apart from that, he was not only a tent maker, the Bible says, and there's a speculation as to what that means, but also he was educated in the house uh, under the tutelage of Gamaliel, who was one of the most famous Pharisees, rabbis of all time. Thousands of people showed up to Gamaliel's funeral to pay honor to him. And Paul was educated under, in other words, he was investing in himself in light of trying to honor God. And you see, God calls anybody. He calls the blind man on the side. He calls the the woman caught in adultery. He calls anybody and everybody. But those who are personally growing themselves as leaders, those who are raising the lid and investing every day, every day, every day, who aren't taking any days off and who are investing every day, they will eventually begin in a place of advancing the kingdom of God in ways that nobody else could. Is anybody glad that God is doing that in us today that he's changing people and extending your influence forward and Paul was zealous and he was educated and is now responsible for writing over almost two-thirds of the New Testament because of his place and his level of leadership being able to to be an apostle over so many churches writing letters and taking care of managing what God has given him somebody say amen And so wherever Joseph was, if we can call back to that, wherever Joseph was, he was a steward wherever he went. He started as one with authority in his father's house. He then moved to Potiphar's house. He was then there in the royal prison. And then he was second in command of all of Egypt. And his level of influence was able to be increased because his personal level, his personal lid as a leader was raised entirely. Amen. Somebody say amen. And so the understanding then comes here. We've talked about the law of the lid. We've talked about those things. And now the next place is understanding our faults. Because if we want to grow, we have to know where we're supposed to grow. If we want to get better, we have to know where, where we're worse off. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. I'm going to read a few scriptures. I want to show you something. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You can see throughout the word of God, there is an underlying current in the text that points toward bettering ourselves, that points toward growing as a church, as a body. 
Not staying in a place of complacency, but planting and harvesting newer versions of ourselves in every season. Continually going. What does he say about the gifts of the Spirit? They're for the edifying. They're to make everybody better. To profit with all so that everybody profits. It's to edify the church that we have pastors, apostles, teachers, prophets, and evangelists. It's to continue to make better. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. You don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to read it so you understand. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. Romans 14, 19. So then let us pursue the things of peace and the things for building up one another. Turn to your neighbor say edify. We need to grow. We need to never stop growing. Never stop lifting that lid. Never stop raising that lid. Now what do you do when your weakness is revealed? How do you respond when your weakness is revealed? That's the question today. That will determine who you are. That will determine where your mind is. Many times we try and correct the outside without dealing with the inside. I was I would like to give an example or at least a thought experiment here. I want you to imagine that you and another person are in a small two-person boat on the sea. And you're the captain, you're in charge. This is your boat here. And on your side there's a leak. And the other person sees it and they call it out. They say, "Hey, you're, there's a leak right there on your side." And the first response sometimes for some of us, pride. And we'll say, I wanted that to be there. Yeah, yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. Right? You know, or, or the other prideful response. You know, why don't you just focus on your side of the raft? Right? Why are you always looking at mine? Just focus on your side of the raft. Well, that's normal. Boats can handle that. Right? Just passing it off. It's pride. Hey, there's nothing wrong here. I got it all together. I got it all taken care of. And the person on the other side is like, I don't really care. I just don't want to sink. We're about to sink. Right, that's a prideful response. Someone say amen. amen. It sounds like some of you heard that recently. Amen. Maybe not on a boat, but in real life. All right. Response number two. People take offense. And more often than not, in my experience, I've understood that people who get offended for things are unsure of their identity. The reason they're offended is because they don't know who they are. Or rather, there is something that they're insecure about. And the moment somebody touches that thing, all of a sudden, they start crying. They go to another place. They're like, well, forget you. You know, I don't want to talk to you anymore, right? They're offended. I, I, and a small example, you know, my personal battle with consistency versus my hair. When I wake up in the morning, my hair is Afro thunder. It looks like I got electrocuted. And my wife will make jokes about me. We both work from home, so she gets to see that. And I'll be working, and I'm working hard, and then she comes out. She starts a little bit later than me. She comes out, and she just starts capping on me in a very nice, loving way. I love you. Amen. And, uh, but I, I'm not offended because I know, just give me about 10 minutes. I'll put some gel on. You know, I'll go ahead and take care of it, throw some water on there. And then, you know, we'll take care of it. It's not a problem. I'm not offended. But if she starts talking about how inconsistent I am, that's something in my identity personally that I struggle with, consistency. I'm being very open with you all in my family. And so that's something that I personally struggle with. So it doesn't matter what conversation we're having. When we start talking about how we need to grow and she starts saying, well, you know, I, don't, I think you shouldn't pick things up and then drop them off in three months like you always do. Right? She doesn't do that. But if she did, oh, man, that would hurt me. 
right? That would hit me because that's part of my identity. I'd be offended. She does not do that. Thank God. I'm just trying to give an example here. And so the second response when somebody does that is, well, why are you always, when someone says, you know, hey, there's a leak in your side. Why are you always pointing out my side? Why are you always attacking me? What? When they're offended, right? You don't think I'm a good enough captain. You never think I'm good enough. Every time we're on this boat, there's always something wrong. They're offended, right? Because they're not really sure of themselves. Or they shut down. I guess I'm just never going to be able to handle this. Bro, we are sinking. The boat is going under. It's not time to shut down. It's not time to be offended. I just don't want to drown over here. Oh, come on. So I, so I <laughs> then you have another response. The person who knows but doesn't apply based off of laziness or fear of failure. And you say, hey, man, there's a hole, there's a hole in your side of the boat. And they say, I know, I know, we got to fix that. But, you know, I mean, if we try to go over there, run over there, fix it, you know, there's this and that and the sun's out and there's a whole other excuse. But they know. And then they start going, well, you know, the way you're supposed to fix it is through this and this and this and that. And if you get the putty or if you get this, you take the water out and, well, I'll try to fix it. And that's how it will work. Why don't we just do it? Why are you just saying you know, but you're not actually applying it? Or they'll say, well, you know, I'm growing. We're all on our own personal journey. You know, we're all striving to be better. You know, it's going to sink. It's okay. It's okay. You see, all of those things are in the way, are standing in between you and survival because of all of these hangups that we have personally. And if we could just acknowledge and come to a place of humility, that fourth response, and say, oh my word, we're about to sink. Why don't you take the water out and I try and plug this thing up and then we can go ahead and, you know, not be out here stranded in the middle of the water calling for the Coast Guard, right? You know, we can, that's the way you're supposed to respond because you're acknowledging something that is wrong. And so my question to you today is how do you respond when somebody points out your weakness? How do you respond when you can look in the mirror and you say, man, I really struggle with consistency. I really struggle with being honest. Man, I am always lying. It just kind of flows out of me. Like, it just flows out. I'm not even trying. It just happens. Or when someone says, hey, you know, you're going to have to be much more careful and honest when you begin discipling people. Or you're going to have to pray more sincerely. Or you're going to have to actually fast longer. Or you're going to have to do this and that. And they start pressing you and pushing you and coming and touching certain parts of your life. How do you respond? If you are the person who does not want to grow and you want to live in pride or you don't want to apply or you want to remain offended, then you're going to end up sinking. And that's the, that's the truth. The truth is no matter how you feel in the situation, the truth is no matter what's raging in your mind or how your parents brought you up or whoever hurt you or whoever did you wrong, it does not matter. The boat is sinking and needs to be fixed and it will sink unless it is fixed. How many of us today want to fix ourselves today? Want to continue growing? There was a, a, a person I know who I was talking to him about some of the things that, that he was struggling with, some of the things that I saw from the outside. And, and he's like, man, yeah, I know. I know, man. I've been in this thing for 10 years, for 15 years. I've been in this thing longer than you've been alive, man. I know I struggle with that. And that was it. Because there's no desire to grow. There's no desire to change. 
And you can't do anything with that. You cannot teach somebody, no matter how good of a teacher you are, you cannot teach them anything unless they want to learn. And nobody can grow, no matter what, unless they want to grow. Amen. How many of you want to grow today? How many of you want to change today? I want to change personally. I want to be a better leader. I want to see this thing explode in the spirit. Amen. So how to increase your lid? How? So maybe you understand the importance of leadership. You understand the importance of the law of the lid. You know your group, your family, your discipleship, none of it is going to grow unless you grow first. And then you understand, okay, I, I need to acknowledge my faults. I need to see where I need to grow, and that's where we need to attack, and I'm going to do it with a humble spirit. I might fail here and there, but I'm going to get back up again. We're going to keep moving forward in the name of Jesus. And then you ask yourself, okay, how do I increase my lid? Now, there are a number of things, and for the sake of time, I can only touch on one. And that is this. First, you have to lead yourself. John Maxwell said, you want to lead other people? People come, came up to him saying, man, I, I wish I had a company to lead. I wish I had, you know, friends to lead. I wish I had people to lead. He says, you do. You have to lead yourself. He says, how can you, how can you lead others if you can't lead yourself? How can you teach others to wake up in the morning and pray if you yourself are not praying? How can you teach others to fast and to crucify the flesh if you say every thought that comes out of your mind that comes into your mind and it flows out of your mouth? How can you tell other people to be more Christ-like and teach them to grow and to change if you yourself have been the same for the past 15 years? If you have given up fighting, how can you teach them? Right? First, you have to lead yourself. Everyone say, lead yourself. See, Joseph led, managed, and was a steward of himself first. We see that in self-discipline. And how do we see that? How do we see that? We see that in this. When Potiphar's wife came after him, they were the only two in the house. Nobody else was there. Nobody else was there. I've gone over this story so many times in my life, and every time I think about this, I think about it, and the Lord gives me an understanding, a deeper appreciation for the integrity of Joseph. Because every man in here understands their weakness. Every woman in here understands their weakness. And Joseph, let me tell you, Potiphar was the captain of the king's guard. He was wealthy. He was known. He was a man of, of respect. I am very sure in the way they chose their wives that he did not choose an ugly woman. I'm very sure that Potiphar's wife had to be good looking of some sort, in some way. And she came on to Joseph attempting to seduce him. And with that old lie, with that old whisper, no one will know. Nobody will know. Nobody will see. It's just me and you. It's just hidden in the dark of your room. It's just hidden in the, in the dark of your closet. It's just hidden in the dark. And nobody's going to know. No one's going to see. It's just this one time. Just this one time. And Joseph stood there managing himself, having authority over himself, leading himself and saying this. Not how can I sin because people aren't going to like me or because people aren't going to accept me. He said, how can I do this before God? He said, there's one person's eyes that I truly care about, and that's God's eyes. And I'm going to lead myself into pleasing him. I'm going to lead myself into righteousness. If you have fallen, it is not too late to get back up. If you have made a mistake, it is not too late to lead yourself under the mighty hand of God. There is mercy here at the altar. There is grace here at the altar. You have to lead yourself to develop a character that others would be willing to follow. 
And you have to live in example leadership. It first starts with you. There was a young man. He was a, a Timothy. And, and then he was no longer a Timothy. The church had to remove him from being a Timothy. And then he was part of a, another ministry in the church. Probably the ushers, I think. And then they had to remove him uh, from that. And then one day he began, he began saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to serve. I'm going to fix myself. I'm just going to serve. I'm not going to go after the position. I'm not going to go after any title. I'm not, not going to go after what people say. I'm just going to fix my, I got to work on some things personally and I need to grow. And as he started doing that, eventually, eventually as character began building and building, there, there, there were then ways that he could begin influencing other people, influencing others. See, it starts with you. Everyone say it starts with me. It starts with you. It starts with you, this self-discipline. Jesus led by example. This is example leadership. We're almost done. Jesus led by example. John 13, 34, I'm just going to rush through it. He said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. He didn't say by the giftings. He didn't say by the gifts of the spirit that you live in. He didn't say by how many people are filled with the Holy Ghost because you pray for them. He didn't say how many churches you open up. He did not say. He said, listen, if you love them, people are going to look at and they're going to look at you and they're going to see me. And there was no way he could have said that except he first loved them. There was no way he could say, hey, you know how I loved you? I want you to love others. And then they're like, Jesus, you don't, you, you don't love us. What are you talking about? No, they could not have done that unless he first showed them. My father could not tell me, James, I need you to go ahead and take out that light bulb and put a new one in the way I showed you. If he had never showed me in the first place, he had to first by example lead and then others would follow. Somebody say amen. And Jesus led by example. He fasted in the wilderness 40 days. He prayed for hours. He lived a life of complete submission, turned around and said, now you do it. Now you do it. Somebody say amen. amen. Proverbs 25, 28 says this. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. You see, when we read it in the KJV, it sounds like it's going to happen. But when you read it in a literal translation, it shows you that it already happened. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. In some translations, it makes it sound like it's going to happen. But in this translation, the literal, it shows you that it's already happened. That if you don't have self-control over your life, if you don't have an understanding of self-discipline, where you are in control, where Potiphar's wife comes to try and seduce you, and you say, no, I cannot sin before God's eyes. Right? Where the devil comes and tempts you in the wilderness, and you say, nah. I'm not going to do that. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Right? The enemy comes to tempt you, comes to distract you, comes to deceive you and tempt you. And you have to have that personal self-discipline. If you got to go break some laptops, break some laptops. Right? If you got to go block some websites, you block those websites. If you got to walk the other way in your school or in your work, then you do that. If you got to get rid of your television, then you do that. If you have to get rid of your cell phone, there are people that live without cell phones. You do that. 
Whatever you got to do to draw yourself closer to God, if you got to move cities, if you got to move states, whatever you have to do, if you're actually serious about removing these Potiphar's wives, about removing these temptations, about overcoming them, you're serious about self-discipline there is a way for you god will make a way of escape he is faithful he is faithful that with every temptation he will make a way for you to escape today he will make a way for us to grow for us to change and then why don't we all stand right now and thank you so much for sitting there thank you so much for for listening and taking this in i pray that somebody receives something i pray that somebody understood something just to reiterate just to go over everything we talked about Number one, we've been talking about leadership this entire month. We are trying to invest in everyone here. Everybody here, if you have influence, you're a leader. And everybody is able to be a leader. Everybody is able to be a leader. And we've been talking about the different ways of leadership or different avenues of leadership in this teaching series. Today, we've talked about evolving as a leader, growing personally. We've talked about how those things that are under you they can only reach as high as you are. If you're at a four or at a five, they will never go higher than that. And they're subject, they're subjected, excuse me, to your leadership abilities. You might be an amazing salesman, but if you're a poor leader, you only get so far. You might be an amazing teacher, but if you're a poor leader, you only get so far. You might be a loving father and a loving mother and might be sincere in your love with your child. But if you're a bad leader, you'll be a bad parent. You might love them very much, but if you are not a good leader, you will not be effective. And then we talked about how we acknowledge our faults. How do we acknowledge our weaknesses, our weak points? Do we grow in pride and say, well, why are you always picking on me? Or why are you always talking? Or do we humble ourselves and just go after whatever is broken and fix it in the fear of the Lord today? And lastly, do we grow every single day? Do we live in self-discipline? We just brushed over that. There's so much more, and I'm sure our pastor will be able to talk about these things or clean anything up that, I, that needs to be cleaned up. But please, I pray in the name of Jesus that people here would get a hold of this and grow as a leader. Everybody here can grow as a leader. Everybody. Amen. Why don't we all pray right now as we conclude. Father, we love you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. We thank you in the name of Jesus. And we come to you, God, asking you that you would raise us up from wherever we were. Raise us up from whatever land we came from, whatever place we came from, whatever job we came from, and that we would rise as leaders, that we would elevate as leaders, that we would grow as leaders today, that we could make a huge impact in the advancement of the kingdom of God, that we can make a huge impact in the advancement of the kingdom of God. We pray that you raise up leaders like Joseph, that you raise up leaders like the disciples, the apostles, the twelve. That you raise up leaders like Paul. That you raise up leaders like Elisha. You raise up prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and apostles. Raise us up in the name of Jesus. Raise us up in the name of Jesus. Grow our ability to lead today. We are coming for revival in 2022 in the name of Jesus. We are coming for revival in 2022 in the name of Jesus. We love you. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's give God a great round of applause today as we receive... Amen, Brother Jonathan. Amen.